You're listening to a podcast from Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, whose mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Well, good morning, church. Am I on? Is it? No? Maybe I should pray. Ah, there we go. There it is. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, Doug, for that, that beautiful prayer and that um, encouragement in the midst of life that we face each day and its ups and its downs. And uh, it, it is discouraging and it's hard sometimes, uh, but we hold on to the hope that we have in Jesus. Uh, well, my name is Chris, and I get the, the honor and privilege of, of preaching from God's Word this morning. Um, but several years ago, before I uh, entered the workforce of stay-at-home dad and progressed to the role of elder in the church, I worked for the University of Portland. And in my role at the University of Portland, I wore many hats. Um, one of them was to work in the graduate admissions office and help process applications and manage students. But the, the other role was to help to assist and serve the, the provost. Now, provost isn't a word that we typically use in our, uh, our setting, but a provost is like the head of academics, the person that oversees all the, the learning across campus. And one of our roles as serving the provost was that each and every year, there were new faculty that were hired. And those new faculty, as they came to campus, would, they would need an orientation. They would need to know how life at the University of Portland looked and, and how it was from day to day and what the expectations were. And, and so uh, I would help to organize this two and a half, three day orientation from eight to five every morning where we would get together and talk through all sorts of logistical stuff. But as part of that orientation, there was this video that we would show. And uh, looking back, it was pretty cheesy, but it was this video where the, the president of the university at that time uh, had this, this kind of overview of what the university was like. And the video was called Answering the Call. And so in, in this video, Answering the Call, he would describe the different aspects of the University of Portland and what it meant to be a part of this family and what it meant to go forth in this mission that the university had in teaching, faith, and service, and all of these different aspects. And then the video would end saying to those people who were watching, how will you answer the call? In our text today, we are going to see um, that in all of life, in what Jesus has laid out for us, he is asking us a similar question. See, John has wrote this gospel in an evangelistic way. He has written this gospel so that those who hear would believe. And from the very beginning of this book, we have seen Jesus come in contact with people and as he has come in contact with them, he says, you, follow me. You, come and follow me. You, be my disciple. You, come and look like me. And inherent in that, the call to follow Jesus is a call to keep Jesus' commands. Or to say it another way that we don't often like to hear. The call to follow Jesus is a call to obedience to Jesus. So we're going to open up the text, and we're going to take a look at it this morning and see what it has to say. 
It is in the book of John, chapter 14, as we continue along, and we're looking at verses 15 through 31. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up or power it on or or feel free to look at the words as they are up on the screen this morning as we walk through the text. Would you please stand with me in honor of God's word as we read this morning? John chapter 14, starting in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your example through Jesus of what it looks like to to love you, um, what it looks like to seek after you, what it looks like to faithfully follow you as you have called us. God, help us to to see what it looks like to answer that call. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You may have a seat. So in in preparing for this message, I uh, felt a little anxious not going to lie. So I have come to understand and realize that apparently I have a, a, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? I have a predisposition or a favoritism towards obedience. Um, I guess you might say that I am the obedience guy in a way. Um, And so because of that, I felt anxious. I felt um, uncomfortable about talking about this subject. And so I even had my wife look over the text before even saying anything to her and be like, so what do you, what do you see here? Um, and then we had this, this nice little conversation about the things that she saw and the things that I saw. And um, my wife and I have very different personalities. Just going to lay that out there. Um, <laughs> 
My wife, uh, like maybe many of you, and even at times me, when she is told something to do, her first reaction is, Mm-mm-mm-mm. I am not going to do that. Even if it is good for her, even if it is the thing that she knows she should do, her gut reaction is, just, no, you told me to do that, so now I don't want to do that thing that you told me to do. I think that we all have a lot of that, or a little bit of that at least, in us when it comes to God. God says some clear things to us. He doesn't pull any punches in a lot of times, and that makes us uncomfortable. That makes us want to say, wait a minute, I don't want to do that thing now. My natural inclination is to say, hold up, let me try this other way first, and then I'll get back to you. Well, Jesus has called us to follow him. And in that call to follow him, as he repeated in this text five separate times, following Jesus looks like keeping his commands. And another way to say to keep commands is to be obedient, right? To keep is to hold close, to keep with you, to... um, I mean, keep, there's no other better word that I can think of other than keep, and, and command, right? We, over the summer, we went through a series called The Ten Commandments. A command is a direct instruction meant to be followed. It's not a suggestion, right? He's not like, well, you know, if you feel like it, you can, uh, you can honor me as the one true God. You can um, not lust after these things. You can not covet money, um, oh, but only if you feel like it. No, God says, do these things because they are good for you. And so as we, as we walk through the text, we're going to see that God, through Jesus, is, is giving us some direct instructions. He has given some direct instructions as we have looked at the previous 13 and a half chapters of what it looks like to follow him. And here, we are going to see three ways of what that looks like. I think that in the midst of our guttural response to, to not want to obey, Jesus gives us a way to obey. He gives us a motivation for obedience. He gives us a means of obedience. And he gives us a manifestation of obedience. Now to start with, the motivation for obedience. This motivation for obedience that Jesus gives and that he lays out is a love for Jesus. As it says in verses 15, 21, 23 through 24, um, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 15. Verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verses 23 through 24. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Three positive descriptions of love. And then in case we didn't get it, he gives the negative. Whoever does not love me and does not keep my word. And the world, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. God asks and requests and calls us to an obedience to him. But that obedience that he calls us to is not a blind obedience out of grudgery. God is not a drill sergeant that has enlisted us in his army 
and then breaks us down to nothing so that we will then just blindly follow him. That's kind of how the military works, right? If you go through boot camp, there is the top dog, and if you don't listen to that top dog, it's going to be pretty terrible for you. And so they make you do things that you don't want to do. They, they break your spirit so that you then see them as the only way to, to accomplish these things. But that's not what, what God is calling his people to. God is not calling us as his people to a blind obedience, to just follow after him willy-nilly, regardless of reason, regardless of thought. God is calling us to a compassionate and grateful response. God is calling us to follow after him out of a heart of love, out of a heart of joy, out of a heart of desire to please and follow him. Now, the best way that I can think of this, because it's my immediate context, is children. So, if you have ever interacted with a child, whether it is your child or somebody else's child, or if you remember yourself as a child, there are two different ways to respond to a request or a direct instruction from your parent or from a grown-up. You can do what they say, and everybody will know that you're doing it out of spite, that you're doing it just because they told you to, but everything inside of you is rebelling against the instruction and the request that they have given you. And it's just miserable for everybody, right? The task may get done, You may end up cleaning your room or mowing the lawn or running an errand to the grocery store or doing your homework. But in the midst of that, you are just angry at the world, right? You get it done, but you don't get it done happily. And at the end of it, you're still not happy. And the person who asked you to do it probably is not very pleased either. But then there's the flip side. There's the child that when you ask them to do something... They are excited. They are so just overjoyed, and they think, well, of course I'd want to do that. I love you, Dad. I love you, Mom. I care about you, grown-up, who is asking me to do this thing. You have shown me great care, and you have taken care of me. You have, you have given me this blessing of life, and you have given me this, this home for which to live in that I do nothing in my own to deserve or to work for, or to take care of. It would do nothing but give me joy to be able to do this thing for you. Now, I'm embellishing a little bit because kids don't speak that way. (laughs) But there are times when we interact with an individual or a child or somebody, and and you can just see in them this gratefulness, this joy, this, this love of being able to care for you, this love of being able to do something for you that they know will please you, that they know will make you happy. Makes me think of my, my kids, they draw pictures a lot, and they, don't, they do them because they like to draw pictures. But part of the motivation in their drawings is that they want to give it to us as their parents. And they say, look, I, I drew this for you. Aren't you so excited? Sometimes I am. Sometimes I just receive the gift because they gave it to me. Or it makes me think of yesterday, during the workday. I showed up a little late. It's hard to get out of the house on time with three kids. And as I showed up late, I saw a ladder leaning up against the side of the building. And I knew what that meant, but I didn't like what that meant. That meant that I was going to be up on that roof clearing out some gutters and raking off some moss and being up high. I don't like heights, right? 
I don't like being up high on a building. Uh, it makes me nervous. It makes me uncomfortable. But I didn't begrudgingly come to Josh and be like, that chainsaw looks like a lot more fun, Josh. Like cutting off those branches back there and, and, and making firewood and doing that. That's a, that's a nice way to do it. That sounds fun. Let me do that one. But no, I, I obediently, even without him saying, climbed up on that ladder and I scooped out the nasty muck from those gutters and put it in a bucket and took care of it. But there's a different way that I could have been gone. I could have known what I was supposed to do and I could have been angry about it and I could have been frustrated and I could have tried to reason with Josh and say, well, Josh, I really don't like to do this and uh, it's, it's very uncomfortable for me and I, I don't want to and it's going to be hard and I'm going to be a little scared. Uh, don't make me do this, Josh. Or I could have kicked and I could have, I could have stood up there on the roof and just been looking down on the individuals that were, they were cutting the branches and they were collecting the leaves and, and blowing with the blower and, and thought, well, man, that seems like a lot more fun down there compared to where I am. That's a lot safer. That's a lot more secure. So you get to hang out with the kids and they're actually helping, so it's enjoyable. But I didn't. As I was up there, I went through the grudgery of, of brushing off the moss, scooping out the junk, dumping it over the side of the building to then clean up again later. <laughs> Sometimes doing the things that God calls us to seems like drudgery. It seems like things that we might not want to do, or that we would rather pass the buck off to somebody else, right? But those things that God calls us to that following of him, that obedience to his commands is good for us. And it's not only good for us, it's good for the body, right? Me being up on those gutter of the roof and sweeping off the moss and clearing out those gutters was good for the body. It was me doing something that didn't put somebody else in danger. It was me taking care of this building in a way that didn't put somebody else in danger. It makes me think of, of, of Jim Tongue. So they were leaving yesterday, and he looked up at me on the building, and he said, Chris, thank you for risking your life for our church. <laughs> I didn't really know what else to say, but thank you. Um, but in reality, in a way, I was. I was up there, and if I had fallen, I would be greatly hurt. But I love this church. I love this family. And so out of that love... I served. And out of that love, I was obedient. That is what God is calling us to. That is what God is, is, is beckoning us towards. That is what Jesus is laying out here. If you love me, if you are grateful, if you are thankful, if you are overwhelmed with this undescribable, un, unexpressible thankfulness, then you will follow the words that I have given you. Then you will follow after me. A motivation for obedience is the love of Jesus. It's a love for Jesus. But not only that, our motivation for obedience is a love of the Father. As it says in verse 31, 
Jesus talking here says, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. See, Jesus doesn't give us a manifest or a call or a direction or a command that he was not willing to do himself. This call to obedience is something that Jesus was called to as well. Think about it. If you were a part of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you were tasked as a role to leave this perfect, majestic dwelling place and to go down to earth where there has been war and there has been famine and there has been brokenness and there has been brother killing brother and there has been strife, would, would you volunteer to do such a task? Would you excitedly say, well, yeah, that sounds great. Like, I would love to go down and have people be ungrateful to me and um, spit in my face and, and beat me up and plot to kill me at every turn and think that I'm a crazy psycho. That sounds like a great idea, God. Like, let's, let's jump on that. But no, Jesus fulfilled his role in obedience to the Father. Because there was perfect love within this Trinitarian relationship of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so out of that perfect love, he responded in obedience to what the God, the Father God, had called him to. And his act of obedience reflected his love for the Father, right? When he came down, there was a specific task, a specific commandment that was given to the Son to accomplish. It was to bring peace into the world and to reconcile a brokenness, to set captives free and restore a relationship. And in order to do that, Jesus had to go through some uncomfortable and some difficult things. Jesus doesn't call us to go where he has not gone. Jesus does not call us to something that he himself has not done before us. We have a motivation for obedience, right? That motivation for obedience is a love for Jesus and a love of the Father. It makes me think a little bit of the Chronicles of Narnia. So recently I got to start reading the Chronicles of Narnia to Theo. He's five now. I figure, why not? Let's go for it. Um, and we've gotten into a little bit of it. And I, I, he can get a little anxious, so I kind of spoiled it for him. I told him that the witch doesn't win at the end, but, but that's all. But we haven't gotten to the part yet where Edmund, he, he betrays his family. He, he just has this desire for these delicious Turkish delights, this yummy, sweet treat. And so he, he kicks his family to the curb, and he goes to the witch to try and get what he wants. But what happens is Aslan comes along. And Aslan says, you can't have him. You see, Edmund is mine, even though he doesn't think he's mine. And I will buy him back from you with my own life. And when he does this, Edmund's disposition just changes throughout the rest of the Chronicles of Narnia. He went from this, like, snooty little kid who was angry all the time and teasing his sister and lying and making snide comments to somebody that is overwhelmingly grateful for this gift that he has been given. 
for this life that has been taken back from bondage and been giving freedom and restored to a position of brother within the family. And out of that, he, he does differently. He responds differently than what he was before. He was given a new motivation for his behavior. That motivation was love for Aslan, who laid down his life on his behalf. Not only are we given the motivation for obedience, we are given the means of obedience. See, in and of ourselves, there is no way that we can follow after what God wants us to do. There is no way that we can follow after Jesus in the way that he is calling us to do so. So Jesus, in his great foreknowledge, he knows this. And he gives us a way to be obedient. He gives us a way to follow after him. And this means of obedience is the helper. Another way to say it is the counselor, the advocate, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit that will be sent to come. This means of obedience is a helper that indwells us. Verses 16 through 17 say, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and I will be with you. And then further in verse 23, where it says, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. The means of obedience that we are given is the manifestation of the helper inside of us. Jesus knows that on our own accord, we are going to run away from God. We are going to run away from the ways of God. And we are going to seek after the ways of this world. And when he says the world, the world is in reference to this fallen, broken rebellion that has chosen to disregard anything that is of God and to seek after their own pleasures, their own passions, and their own pursuits. To do it their own way. To make the most of it for themselves. That hasn't gone very well. Jesus is calling them to something more, to something better. And he says, I know that you will not be able to do this on your own. So I will send you a helper that will enable you to be able to do these things that I am asking you to do, that I am calling you to. This spirit that indwells you is a helper, a helper that will help you in a task that you are unable to accomplish on your own. He will encourage you. He will walk beside you. He will indwell you. He will rise up inside of you a passion for God that you did not know could be there. This helper will be with you at all times, in all places, in all circumstances. And Jesus says that it would be better for this helper to come. See, Jesus was one person. And when he was on this earth, he could only interact with so many people. But when the helper came, he was able to be indwelt in every single believer at all times, in all places, in all circumstances, wherever they found themselves. Think about that. Jesus spent the majority of his time with 12 people. The Spirit is with all who believe. I can't even number how many that is, right? That is so much better. This helper alongside of us. 
this helper that indwells us, this helper that compels us to seek after Jesus, to love Jesus when we don't want to love him, to follow him when we would rather follow our own path. This advocate that when at the end of our days we come before the Father and we are accounted for, will say, no, no, this one, this one comes in the name of your son. And so he is welcome in our kingdom. He is welcome in heaven. Open the gates and let her in. This means of obedience is from a helper that indwells us. And not only that, it's from a helper that instructs us. Verses 25 through 26. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. All that Jesus has said to them. All that Jesus has brought about. I don't, I don't know about you. I've been reading this, uh, this Bible for uh, many a years now. I do not remember all of it. I do not have a photographic memory. Um, I think I have a pretty good memory, but then my wife asked me to do something, and five minutes later, I can't remember that she talked to me. Um, And so we go round and round in that conversation. But God has given us this helper. God has given us somebody that is able to instruct us in these ways that he has called us to to bring to mind the ways of God when we are walking in this world and we think that that our ways are better. Somebody who will instruct specifically here his disciples to fill out the rest of Scripture by the writing of the New Testament. That it will be God's word written through them. But for us, that we would be able to remember all that he has said, all that he has instructed, all that he has called us to, so that we would know who he is, that we would know what he has done, and we would know the way to walk in after him. I think of it a little bit like parenting, too. There is a a, a certain number of years that you have with your children before they go off into the world and they start to do their own thing. And during those years, we, we have chosen to be very intentional Uh, I take this example from Josh conversations we've had before. There are these years when our children are young and you get all of their attention. You get all of their time and you pour into them to the best of your ability. You teach them these ways. You you teach them to make good choices, to, to behave, to pick up after themselves, to treat others nicely with the hope that one day when they grow up and they leave the house, they will be a reflection of those traits and those characteristics and those instructions that you have poured into them over the years. But see, Jesus didn't just pour into the disciples for three years and then leave them to try and figure it out on their own the rest of the way. Jesus poured into them intentionally for three years spent with them, and then he sent somebody to help continue on that work with them that would remind them of his words, that would draw them back into obedience, that would draw them into who he was and what he has done. Somebody that would teach them and guide them and bring them into all of his things and all of his ways. 
we are given a motivation for obedience, a love of Jesus and a love of the Father. And we are given a means to that obedience, the spirit that indwells us, that allows us to do things that on our own nature we would not want to do, that we would not naturally be inclined to. And then we are also given a manifestation of obedience. This manifestation of obedience as as displayed in this text is a peace that comes from God. This peace that comes from God is a peace in the midst of discouragement. Verses 27 through 29 say, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Jesus was going to be going away. And when Jesus went away, it was not going to be him just walking out the door and going down the road and moving on to another town. Jesus' going away was going to be a brutal execution. It was going to be a terrible thing. Think about that. Somebody that you have known for years suddenly dies. Suddenly is is ripped from you. You're going to feel a little discouraged. There's going to be sadness. There's going to be pain. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be discouragement. But Jesus here, he is is telling them that this is to come, that this is going to happen. But not only that will it happen, but that he will return again. He will once again come to them, and he is telling this to them because when it happens, it's going to be so overwhelming that they are just going to feel broken. They are going to feel so discouraged and so overcome that they are not going to know what to do with themselves. They are going to scatter. They are going to be filled with fear and deny him and walk away. And Jesus is saying, this is going to come. And when it does happen, you will know that I am God. I have told you what is going to take place so that when it does come, you will be able to remain confident in who I am and what I am going to accomplish. You can take courage in my company. You can take courage in what I will do. You do not need to be downtrodden. We're given peace and discouragement. But not only that, we're given peace in the midst of opposition. Verse 30 says, I will no longer talk much with you, For the ruler of this world is coming, but he has no claim on me. The ruler of this world is Satan. The ruler of this world is the enemy. The ruler of this world is the fallen angel, the devil, who has rebelled against God since the beginning to try and make a world for his own, a place for his own, a people for his own. And the only way he tries to get those people is by ripping them from God. As people who follow after God, we are going to experience opposition. 
we are going to experience difficulty. We are going to experience attack. But in the midst of that, we can have peace. And the reason that we can have peace is because that opposition has been overcome. That opposition has been overcome by the one who came down on our behalf, by the one who came down from the Father. See, when Jesus came down, and he was born, and he lived, he went and he he got baptized. And as he got baptized, he began his earthly ministry. And in the way that the, the book of Matthew presents it, as he is baptized, he is immediately taken out into the desert. And as he is taken out into the desert, he is starting this walk in obedience of following after God, and Satan tempts him. Satan, the enemy, comes in and says, wait a minute here, I can see what is going to be taking place, and now let me offer you something else instead. You know that, that call of obedience that the Father has given to you? That looks really uncomfortable. That looks really painful. Let's, let's just get it done right now, Right? Let's just make it happen, um, and I'll give it to you, and all that you need to do is serve me. Right? You've been out here in the desert for a while. You've been, you've been walking around for these 40 days. You're probably pretty hungry and thirsty, right? Well, your God, just, just take those stones and make them into bread. You'll be all good. You know, you won't be hungry anymore. God said you got, have the power. He's given it to you. Just, just do it. But Jesus stands on the word and says, no, God doesn't say to to just to test him, but to rest in him. And then he says, well, well, okay, let me take you up to this mountaintop and let me show you all this kingdom, right? This kingdom's supposed to be yours anyways. Well, just, just throw yourself off this temple here and uh, if you really are God, then the angels will come and they will rescue you and, and you won't get hurt because not a bone of your body will be broken. And Jesus stands on the word again and he says, no, you do not tempt God, you do not put him to the test, but you rest in him. And then he tries one more time. He says, well, I'll just give it all to you right now. There's no need for you to suffer. There's no need for you to go to the cross. Just bow down and worship me, and I'll give it to you. You can have all of your heart's desire. You can have all that you are due. You can have all that you deserve. Just worship me. But Jesus again stands on the word and says, no, you shall worship none other than the Lord your God. See, I didn't realize until recently that um, we, we look to the cross as, as the victory. We look to the cross as the, the instant where Jesus has proclaimed victory over the enemy. But that's just it playing out. Jesus proclaimed victory there in the desert over the enemy. Jesus was tempted three times by the the devil, and he three times resisted. He resisted, and the enemy fleed from him. Victory was won in that moment, and it was played out at the cross. The king who came, who stood up against the opposition of the enemy, gives us the courage to do so as well. In this call to obedience, we are given a motivation of love, the means through the Spirit, and the manifestation through peace. When Jesus came into the world, he brought peace. Peace to people with God. He came down 
And he brought us peace with God through victory of the Son. Peace with God. Peace that we did not deserve. The righteousness of God demanded an answer for the rebellion of mankind. And God got that just delivery. But it came in the form of his son. So that we might have peace with God. And that peace with God manifests within us through the indwelling of his spirit that allows us to seek after him when we don't feel like it, when we don't want to, when we don't desire to, when everything in our nature from this broken world says, give me my reward now, the spirit indwells us. The spirit points us toward the son so that we may have the gift of the father. As we come to the tables to respond in communion, we get to rest in that peace. We get to receive that peace that God has given. This is a tangible example of that. This is a tangible example of the body that was hung on the cross, the bread for the body that was broken, the body that was beaten, the body that had nails driven through it, the juice as the blood that came out and washed over us so that we may be made new and clean and that we may be indwelt by the Spirit. Come and receive. Come and receive the peace of God through the sacrifice of the Son. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are so, so good that while you have called us to something that seems unattainable, you have given us the means to be able to seek after you. You have given us the example of your own obedience through the Son, Jesus, coming down and accomplishing what none other could accomplish on our behalf. God, may that well up inside of us in thankfulness, in gratefulness, in love for you that flows out in action, in love for one another. We praise your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please visit us at www.redseachurch.org or contact us at info at redseachurch.org.